All right, my friends, if you have your Bibles, please open them with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This morning, as we praise God for the gift of Sean Smith as one of our pastors, we're going to take time to consider how the cross of Christ is the power and the pattern for all pastoral ministry. And I want to begin by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 to 21 together. It says this, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? These are questions that Paul is asking here in order to get at a larger question, which is, where are the leaders of this world? Where are the powerful people? And Paul asks these questions because one of the fundamental issues that we have seen Paul address within the Corinthian church has been their wrong understanding of leadership. The Corinthian church was loyal to certain pastors and leaders within the church, not for the right reasons, not because those, reason, those leaders loved Jesus, not because those leaders were committed to serve, not because those leaders loved truth in a particular way, but rather because these leaders appeared to have strength and power according to worldly standards. And so if a particular leader in the church had a strong personality, for example, he would gain a following within the church. If another leader was eloquent with his words, he would gain a following within the church. If another leader was a strong apologist, a a skilled debater, if he won lots of arguments, he would gain a following within the church. The Corinthian Christians were slightly different from who we are today. Our culture today doesn't really want any leaders, right? Our culture, even within the church, often resists leadership. We want to live individual lives, and we are, we're very skeptical of anyone who claims to have an authority over our lives. We today often don't want leadership, while the Corinthians loved their leaders, but they just loved them for the wrong reasons. And so the question needs to be asked, is leadership a good thing? Is leadership a good thing? And if it is a good thing, what makes it good? What kind of pastoral leadership should we love and respect and eagerly follow with our lives? Sean, the the question needs to be asked, what kind of leader is Christ calling you to be for this local church family? Is God calling you to be a passive leader who doesn't step on anyone's toes and doesn't make anyone feel uncomfortable. That's likely what the culture would ask of you. Or is God calling you to respond to the culture with a very strong and heavy-handed leadership, an authoritative leadership? Or is God calling you to use your gifts and your personality and your eloquence to gain a following behind you? What kind of leadership are we called to as pastors within the church? Well, folks, there are few places in God's word that are as helpful to answer these questions about leadership as the letter of 1 Corinthians. 
As we have seen over the last six months, there are, are many leadership lessons within this letter that we should model our lives and our pastoral ministry after in a particular way. And I want us to consider these together today. The, the main idea for our message today is this. The cross of Christ is the power and pattern for all pastoral ministry. The cross of Christ is the power and pattern for all pastoral ministry. And we have two points today. Point number one, the power of the cross. And point number two, the pattern of the cross. Let's go ahead and begin with the first. Point number one, the power of the cross. Look again with me at verses 20 to 21. Paul says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. Now, these verses upon first reading them can be a little bit confusing to us because Paul uses words like wisdom and foolishness in a very rapid way. But in this text, those words may not mean what you think that they mean. To our Christian ears, wisdom seems like a very good thing, doesn't it? Solomon in the Old Testament tells his son to value wisdom like gold. Wisdom, according to God's word, in most places is a very good thing, but not necessarily here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we know that because Paul distinguishes between two types of wisdom. Apparently, there is a, a kind of wisdom that is not good. In verse 20, Paul says, where are the debaters of this age? And in the next verse, he says, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? So, so Paul's highlighting a, a, a wisdom that is different from godly wisdom. And not only does Paul highlight worldly wisdom as distinct, he highlights those who pride themselves on having a great amount of, of worldly wisdom. He says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Paul says, where are the men who in the eyes of this world are the epitome of wisdom and power? The, these men of power and position, the scribes, the debaters of the age, they, they would have been men who would have been highly honored and highly esteemed in the Corinthian church. And so, as the, the Corinthians read verse 20 for the first time, they would not have said, huh, I, I wonder who Paul's speaking of here. Who, who could he mean? No, they would have been able to look around and they would have seen the men who filled these roles and carried these titles. They, they would have been able to look out of this window in their church and they would have seen a government building that would have been filled with men who would have been writers of the law, both legal and religious law. They would have been able to listen outside this window of the church and they would have heard the philosophers debating their many ideas in the public square. So, so Paul's not saying, hey, where are these men? Can you go and find one of them and bring them to me? No, he's saying, where are these men and their claimed wisdom before God's wisdom? Where are they in, in comparison to him? But Paul is in fact saying that the word of the cross, which is the gospel that we celebrate here together this morning, the gospel is, has done something to the wisdom of this world. The gospel has revealed something about reality in this God-created world that is distinctly different from the perspective of this world. 
Paul is saying the the word of the cross, the gospel, has undercut the wisdom of this world and made it like nothing in comparison to God's wisdom. In comparison to God's wisdom, it can't even be found. Where is it? Where are these men? See, see, worldly wisdom, the, the wisdom of this age, is dangerous because so often it comes from a godless perspective. It is a humanistic wisdom. It is a man-oriented wisdom. The, the wisdom of this world is about us and how smart we can be. The wisdom of this world tells us that the stronger or the smarter we are in worldly things, the more money we have, the more power we have, the more letters after our name we have. The world tells us that these things are where position and power and ultimately happiness comes from. And that is so dangerous because that wisdom is wrong wisdom. And it's so wrong, it's so dangerously wrong because worldly wisdom often blinds us to our need for godly wisdom. Friends, if we stand in the strength or in the power of our worldly wisdom, well then we will not even be able to see our need for Jesus because we will think that we are sufficient in ourselves. We'll be blind to our need. We will never come to him and be saved by him because we're so confident in who we are and what we can do. And so, in such a a wonderfully powerful and insightful way, Paul says in verse 21 that it was actually the the wisdom of God, this is good wisdom, the, the wisdom and the goodness of God that has made it impossible for the world to know God through their wisdom, bad wisdom. Paul is saying that their education and all of their study and all of their their rhetoric and eloquence, through it all, the world has not found God. They have not even found happiness in this life. And Paul is saying that it is God's wisdom, it is his goodness, it is his love that has led him to write a story which is the gospel that doesn't allow us to be able to find him through those things. Because then it would be about us. Because the story that God has written is a story of his unfailing love and his unfailing love looks nothing like us. It looks nothing like our self-centered, self-serving, self-promoting wisdom that we have. And so he wisely writes a story that requires you and I to look away from the wisdom of this world in order to fully see and accept the wisdom and the love of God which is before us in the face of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says that it was the very wisdom of God to say no to humanity's wisdom. He said, humanity's wisdom will not be able to find me. It is only through humbly acknowledging that God's ways are different from our ways. It's only through acknowledging that the word of the cross contradicts this world's understanding of power and position and glory. It's only through seeing the work of God's humility on that cruel cross that we will be able to understand where true wisdom is found. The word of the cross turns our ideas of what wisdom is upside down. 
The cross where God himself dies for humanity. The cross says that happiness is not found where the world finds happiness. The cross says that happiness is not found in education. The cross says that happiness is not found in our career title. The cross says that happiness is not found in a new car or in a new home or in that position of power and influence. No, happiness comes from looking at a bloody cross and realizing that true joy is found when we come to the end of ourselves and all of our empty power and receive what's only what someone else can give to us. Church, look at what it says in verse 21. It says that it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Paul is saying here that God smiles big when we see the emptiness of worldly wisdom and pursue godly wisdom. God God smiles big when we realize that our, our hope and our joy today is not found in position or power or possession. God smiles big when we realize that everything in this world is nothing in comparison to Jesus. Now why? Why is Paul saying all of this? What is the point of this? Does this mean that all other wisdom is bad in this world? Should we not pursue education? Should we not become experts in our field? Should we not want to have letters after our name? Should we not want a nice house or a new car? Is everything in this world bad? No, that's not what Paul is saying. See, the key to understand what he's saying in this text is found in verse 21 when he says that the world did not know God through wisdom. But Paul is seeking to help us from thinking that all of these pursuits in life are what can save us. We do not know God through success and accolade. No, we know God when we remember that he sent his only son, King Jesus, into this world without any worldly sense of success or accolade. He sent his son to become nothing for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. It seems so foolish to the world. The cross makes zero sense to our culture, but it is the wisdom and the power of God. And friends, think about the effect that this can have on all of our lives. We can and we should have ambition for life. We can and we should want to work hard. We can and should pursue excellence in whatever area we work in. But what Paul is saying here removes all of the pressure from finding our identity and our confidence and our hope and our joy in those things. We can pursue excellence and success in all those things even while our confidence and our hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, even while our identity is secure in him, even while we do not idolize those things, but rather submit to them, submit them to Jesus and his reign over our lives. And Sean, this is good news for us as leaders as well. Pastoral ministry means many things to many different people. Sadly, in the church, it often doesn't look much different from the corporate world today. Oftentimes, it really is about power. It really is about personality. It really is about eloquence and polish. It really is about worldly standards of success. But what good news for us today that the power of pastoral ministry is not found in any of those things, but rather in the power of the cross. What good news that according to 1 Corinthians, not only is the cross the power that we need and the message that we proclaim, but it is also the pattern for our entire ministry together. 
The cross of Christ, the the foolishness of God, as Paul says, is actually the greatest template for all pastors to follow in their local church ministry. And that brings us to our second point. Point number two, the pattern of the cross. Friends, if you know the pastors of Redeemer Fellowship at all, you will quickly agree that it is a very, very good thing that God does not call pastors to be the most wise or the most eloquent leaders according to worldly standards. Why is that a good thing? Because we're not the smartest nor the most eloquent around. Jason recently described us as being like a bad country song because we have a few pickup trucks, a few great women, and that's about it. (laughs) And that's fairly true. We are not the smartest, nor are we the most eloquent leaders around. In fact, one of my my all-time favorite memories about Sean over the last four years uh, had to do with the first year of our church plant when Sean was leading worship almost every single week. And, And he did a phenomenal job of serving us. But there was one part of his role that he could not get right. And it wasn't a complicated thing. Every week, he simply needed to say it at a certain point in the meeting, you may have your seats for a reading of scripture. That's not a complicated sentence. You may have your seat for a reading of scripture, but in the first year, I think there were 52 different variations of that. He would say things like, we are now going to read God's word. You may have your seats for it. Or, or please sit now for a scripture reading. Or take a seat and we will hear scripture be read aloud by, by a member. Or he even went Yoda on us sometimes. Seats you may have for scripture will be read now. There, there were a few times when he like literally stalled out in what he was saying and Jason and I just looked at each other and just died laughing in that moment. Friends, the point is, praise God that according to his great wisdom, we do not need to be the brightest or the most eloquent or the most powerful people according to worldly standards. Why? Because our pastoral ministry is emphatically not about us. It's about Jesus. And he doesn't need perfect men in order to get his work done in this world. In fact, God delights, he loves to use weak and imperfect men to do his work because it highlights his power being at work within us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, while talking about pastoral ministry, that we are like jars of clay. Jars of clay are not impressive. In the first century, jars of clay were little more than cheap Tupperware. They could break, they could chip, they they were not attractive to look at. But Paul says that pastors are jars of clay. Why? So that the surpassing glory of God might be seen through us. Our weakness in leadership is not something that we should avoid or minimize as a bad thing. We should welcome it because our weakness is an opportunity to highlight the power of God at work in our lives. And so praise God that the cross of Christ is our pattern to follow in the midst of our weakness because the cross proves that when you take the low road, God can accomplish great things. Sean, as we have studied 1 Corinthians together, we have seen several ways that the gospel and the cross in particular should affect our ministry. These are things that certainly apply to all God's people, but but Paul seems to highlight them for pastoral ministry in a particular way. And I want to end by highlighting three of these ways. Three patterns from the cross. Pattern number one, the cross is a pattern of humble service. Humble service. Now, there, there are many places in 1 Corinthians 
that we could go to to consider this, but the, the, the first place that comes to mind is 1 Corinthians chapter 4 because Paul is so direct about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. In verse 1, he says this. He says, this is how you should regard us. When you think of your pastors, this is what you should think of as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Paul's so direct. He says, how should you think about your leaders within the church? They are servants. They are stewards. They're not kings. They're not masters. They're not bosses. They're servants. When Jason preached through this text, he highlighted that the word servant here was equivalent to being a galley slave, the lowest of the low. This is who Paul says that we are, and it's so good, first of all, because it highlights the importance of our love for our Lord and Master Jesus Christ in the context of ministry. Sean, listen, brother, you will not be a faithful pastor if you do not cultivate a daily love and amazement at what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you, who is your master. If you do not stand daily amazed by his great work and love for you, you will never find the strength or the humility to be a galley slave within the local church. It just won't happen. You will forsake this calling for something that brings much more honor and praise. But cultivate that love. Cultivate that respect for your Lord and Master Jesus Christ, and you will be given strength to serve well. And what Paul says here is also important because it reminds us of what our ministry should be. We, we should not be using our titles to gain power over people's lives. Now, in God's economy, if you would be great, you must become servant of all. And all pastors must lead the charge in becoming least of all. So, Sean, I charge you today not to use your title of pastor to avoid opportunities for humble service, but rather to pursue them joyfully. I charge you to serve faithfully as a servant. Serve by working hard in the preaching and teaching of God's word, but also serve by getting into the mess of people's lives and being willing to do anything for the sake of the gospel. Jesus himself is our pattern in this, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. And so, brother, may we follow him in our pastoral ministry together. The cross is a pattern of humble service. Pattern number two, the cross is a pattern of compassion and courage. We've seen this very clearly in this letter as well. The, the Corinthian church, if you're not familiar with who they are, they have major, major issues within themselves. There are many things that Paul the Apostle needs to courageously speak against, many things that he needs to correct, but he doesn't do so as a bully. No, he does so pastorally and as a brother in Christ. He does so with care and with love. Even with all of their many issues, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you. Even as he had major concerns for these Christians, he spoke to them lovingly and with respect. And Paul is this way because he himself is following the pattern of Christ on the cross, the pattern of Christ who was full of grace and truth. Jesus came into this world 
because of real need. <laughs> he came into this world knowing that it was our sin that sentenced us to judgment before God and that that was a big problem. Jesus knew that many hard things needed to be said and done in order to fix this problem. And he didn't come trailblazing his way in just to get that accomplished regardless of how it affected those around him. No, he came with compassion and love. He was gentle and lowly. Sean, what a, what a picture of ministry for us to follow. If Jesus, the perfect son of God, was full of grace and truth, if he was patient and loving, if he was gentle and lowly towards those around him, how much more should we be the same? And so, Sean, I charge you to follow the example of Jesus by being both compassionate and courageous in your ministry. Be, be compassionate. Love God's people well. Be patient with their sin. Be gentle in their weakness. Do not hammer them with God's word or with your theological convictions. No, love them with compassion. Be like Jesus who ate and drank with tax collectors and sinners. He did not run away from those in need but eagerly, eagerly entered into their need. But brother, also be like Jesus who spoke directly about the problems of his day. Sean, do not let compassion steal your courage either. Be full of grace and truth. We need pastors who say the hard things. As Paul instructs the young pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, Sean, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Sean, preach the word. You're a wonderful preacher. Preach the word with joy. Cling to truth. Stand on the word of God. Be an ambassador of Christ with the truth that has been given. Do, do not buy into the empty ideologies of this world and the value systems of this world, but cling to Christ and to his word and let his word be the one source of wisdom for your pastoral ministry. And actually, Sean, I just want to pause here and commend you in this. You are a man who clings to Jesus and to the truth of his word. Some of you know this, but I love to take prayer hikes throughout the White Clay Park. And as I do that, in order to help me with prayer, there are certain, it's kind of weird, but there are, there are trees that remind me of people. And, and when I see those trees, they, they cause me to pray for those people. And so you might be entertained to know what tree reminds me to pray for Sean. As you walk along one of those trails next to the creek, there's this tree that uh, you can see all of the roots, and it looks like it's about to fall over. And so if you know Sean at all as he leads his five, soon-to-be six kids, life can seem a little chaotic at times. It, it looks a little precarious. But if you look closer at this tree, you will see that those roots are hugging this massive boulder of a rock, and they go deep, and they are entrenched, and they... The tree can't be moved. It's not going anywhere. I see that. I think of Sean. Chaotic at times, but his roots go so deeply into God's word and are so securely wrapped around the hope of Christ that he is not easily shaken. And he's going to be a fantastic leader for our church because of his clinging to Christ. Sean, amen. Amen. Result Sean, may the cross be your pattern of compassion and courage as well. Pattern number three, 
The cross is a pattern of joy and hope. It, it is not always easy to lead with compassion and courage. There are many issues in our world, many things that concern us, many problems and burdens within the local church. Discouragement in pastoral ministry is a common thing because of how many problems we see. But Sean, this is why we must keep our eyes on Christ and on his cross. Because even in the pain of the cross, there is joy and hope. Hebrews says that it was for the joy that was set before him that Christ endured the cross. Jesus saw a bright future before him, a bright future of redemption, a bright future that was possible only through his death, and so he willingly laid down his life. But then he rose from the dead. Paul is happy throughout his letter. He is a happy apostle, and he has hope because he knows that it is not his responsibility to solve all of the world's problems. He knows that the greatest problem, the problem of our sin, has already been dealt with through the cross and through that empty grave. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the, our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, therefore, Sean and Mary, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing in the, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Sean, we're able to serve as pastors, as under shepherds because of the chief shepherd and the victory that he has already won for us. We are just stewarding this hope that has been given, this good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Sean, as we consider the pattern that the cross is, it begins to make sense why Paul is so resolved to know nothing but the cross. He says in chapter two, I resolve to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says in chapter 15 that this is of first importance. And so, Sean, I exhort you, even as I exhort myself this morning, may you, may we together as fellow pastors resolve to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. May it be our power. May it be our pattern. May it be our joy. Amen.